Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 131. I was racking my brain last night and this morning to come up with some poetic 25-second intro to the podcast today when it dawned on me. Why try to do something that Wayne Larravee already did for us? Jordan Love, wow. In what many called a rebuilding year in Green Bay, after all this, the ups and downs of a long campaign, it was all about the future, right? Well, for this Packers team, on this day in Green Bay, the future is now. Kids, if you can't find a way to do something yourself, find somebody else who can do it better and steal from them. Anonymous. Packers over the Bears 17-9. to It was stressful at times for about two hours and 55 minutes of the three-hour game. They get it done. The youngest team in the league punches their ticket to the playoffs by knocking out their most hated division rival. This is going to be a fun one. We're going to break it all down. We're going to look toward the playoffs. Jordan Love, did Joe Barry save his job? Me might have. Aaron Jones, there's a lot to go over. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. In time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Wisconsin, record-breaking run. Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit to center, here comes Gomez, around third, a throw and the Brewers win. Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's a double and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in. do to start the podcast today I want to just throw this in here I've thought about doing this throughout the season I've been doing this on the B93 morning show forever after a Packer win when we do victory Mondays we always play the victory call and then we do a bunch of highlights in the 715 break that's kind of the well the A list I would say of this morning show is more like the X list but we always play at around 7.15, the day after the Packers win, about a minute's worth of highlights and then some TV and movie clips spliced in there too with the bang on the drum playing underneath it. I've literally been doing it since day one, since 2009, September of 2009, I think, was the first Packers season where I was doing the B93 Morning Show. I've thought about trying to insert that into this podcast. I wasn't sure how to do it. We'll just wedge it in right here. This is what we play after every Packer win. We do something like this. Slow snap, Fields. Oh, he's wrapped up and taken down. Van S got to him for a loss of six. That's what we call a sack lunch. Nom, 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 nom. As Love on third and one wants to go up top. Looks to the end zone. The pass is on the money for the touchdown. Dontavian Wicks. Not Bears. Fields. They crash in on him again, just like they did on two other drives in this game. The Bears are cell shocked. It's breaking my heart. Third and three. Pass to Wicks. And he finds 
the goal line for the touchdown. In the name of the great Rick Flair. Here's again a third down sack put up by Green Bay. Way Walker got to him first. Do you believe that? Huh? Do you believe? Love is down the way for another big play. It's Reed sprinting. Reed runs into Jackson and gets shoved out at about the 12 or 13. That's the power of love. Second and nine. Jones got the first down to lock it up. That'll send Green Bay into the postseason with their two best games of the year back to back. And there is your dagger. Great win for the Green Bay Packers. These fans deserve it. That's kind of fun, right? A little bit of fun, kind of fun, sort of fun. Well, that just is something we've done for a long, long time on the B93 Morning Show, celebrating a victory Monday or a victory Tuesday or whatever it is. Packers get it done against the Bears with all of the hype heading into this matchup and the Bears flying high, winning five of their last seven and Justin Fields playing better. And could he cement his future legacy as the Bears quarterback going forward by beating, finally beating the Packers in Lambeau Field and denying them a playoff berth? Packers on the flip side dealing with injuries. Christian Watson didn't play again, even though he practiced this week, thought he was going to play, didn't play. Dealing with injuries, dealing with youth, dealing with some trades in the middle of the year, too, where they traded Rasul Douglas. And I don't think it's a coincidence the defense dipped off after that for a while. They seem to have recovered in the last couple of weeks. Will it save Joe Barry's job? I don't think so. But I think the conversation is getting more and more serious. We'll talk about that a little bit later. For all of the different things going on around this team all year, for them to end up at the same spot they ended up at last year, and for the result to be different, where last year they fumble it away, they lose to the Lions, a Detroit team that had nothing to play for, they can't get into the playoffs in what ends up being Aaron Rodgers' final year. This year, after you trade the Hall of Fame quarterback away and you make the move to Jordan Love and you've got this youth movement and no one's sure what to expect in terms of wins and losses, but at the end of the day... Just figuring out if Jordan Love is the guy seemed to be the primary goal. They figured that out. And on top of that, they win nine games. They hit the over on the season win total bet. And they cash a playoff ticket as they finish the season nine and eight and are the seventh seed and now on their way to Dallas for a matchup with Mike McCarthy in round one. Wild card weekend Sunday prime time. Basically that block, that 330 block. Just an incredible season from this team. Brian Gutekunst, I mean, he saved receipts. He is going to have to have some discipline not to be chirping today. And against people like me, too. I Like we talked about a podcast or two ago, we spent the middle of this year when things were really down, when they were 2-5 or 3-6 or, or something like that, we spent that podcast, or at least a third of that podcast, going over all of the draft mishaps and the misses he had, and we weren't sure what was going on with the most recent two drafts, but the prior drafts had not been good. 2018 was kind of a bust, 2019 kind of a bust, and maybe that lack of talent over the course of a couple of years of bad drafting is why the team was 2-5 and five or 3-6 and six and heading toward a top five pick, and they just spin this thing. I almost said something else. <laughs> they just spin this thing all the way around rip off that three-game winning streak. Then they have the lull in New York and at home against Tampa. Then they come back, squeeze one out against a bad Carolina team to keep themselves alive and play, you could argue, two of their best games of the year right when they needed them at the end of the season. I know you could make a case for that back-to-back, the Detroit win and the Kansas City win being better than these two wins. It just feels like this team right now is clicking on all cylinders 
They like playing with each other. There was a lot of that conversation at the end of the game in the post-game celebration with the cigars going and how the vibes are different and the team chemistry is better than it was a year ago. A lot of players spoke to that. This is a team that seems to truly enjoy each other, both on and off the field. And with the way they're clicking in now, could this be a dangerous team in the playoffs? I don't know. I feel at this point like everything is just house money. And that's something I've never experienced. I've heard it's fun <laughs> when you win so much that you can bet a little bit. It doesn't even matter. I've heard of this. I've, it's like runner's high. I've heard of runner's high, too. I haven't experienced it, but I've heard of it. I've heard of its myth. That's kind of how I feel heading into this weekend. We'll talk more about the playoff matchup with the Cowboys and what we think might or might not happen. I don't know that I'm going to be, well, I guess we'll wait. If they lose, <laughs> if they lose by 21, episode whatever, 133 of the Strange Brew Podcast may have a decidedly different tone. My feeling right now, after the win against the Bears and punching the ticket to the playoffs, is that regardless of what happens, this season has been an overwhelming success. Not just in that you now have your franchise quarterback moving forward, but you've got this whole infusion of young talent really on both sides of the ball now, more so on the offense with the wide receiver room and the tight end room. But you see some things you like too from a lot of young players on the defensive front seven and the secondary maybe now as well. Just the feeling of moving forward with this team and how cohesive they are and how they're going to be around each other for at least a few more years. This is the worst this team is going to be. You know what I mean? This season, with this cast of characters that are basically all coming back next year and are basically all going to be back the year after that if things continue to progress in the right direction, this is as bad as they're going to be because they're so young and inexperienced at the NFL level. It is just an incredible job by Goody, an incredible job by Matt LaFleur when this season looked down and out to turn it around, and an incredible job by the players to keep their focus, keep growing, taking steps of progression every week, finally breaking through, dealing with then the expectation of winning and not succeeding in those situations, coming back from that and winning the final three games of the year and maybe playing your best football toward the end of the year. Let's start with, where do I want to start? I've got a lot of notes today. <laughs> Let's start with Jordan Love. We've been starting with him all year long. We talked early in the year, early, early, like week one or week two, about how if he can be better than bad Aaron Rodgers or as good as bad Aaron Rodgers was, bad. we had bad Aaron Rodgers in 2022. If Jordan Love can pass that test of being as good as or better than bad Aaron Rodgers, then this team, we said back then, this is a team that could win seven to nine games maybe or seven or eight games, I think I said, and they could threaten to make a playoff spot. He passed a lot of those pass-fail tests early. Then we had a lot of fail in the middle with the Detroit game at home. Certainly the Vegas game, probably his worst game of the year. He wasn't great in the Denver game either, and certainly the home game against Minnesota. After that, though, this guy put together a run where things snapped into place like Neo in the Matrix. Like we talked about, he is starting to believe. He is the one. And he ends up with a resounding, I would say, Christmas story A+. plus. We're healthy A+. Plus, 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 plus. was he as good as bad Aaron Rodgers he was better than bad Aaron Rodgers and when you put his stats up this year next to some of the years we had with Aaron Rodgers certainly not I don't think you're gonna put this up against the MVP season of 2011 or 2014 or 20 what was it 2020 and 2021 the four MVP years but if you put them up against a lot of Aaron Rodgers other seasons not just bad Aaron Rodgers from 2022 these are comparable numbers Jordan Love ends his season 
Let me just make sure I click on his stats here. Ends his season with over 4,100 yards passing, shattering that over bet we had on 3,000, whatever it was, 3,350. 4,159 yards, 32 touchdowns passing, four touchdowns rushing, so 36 total touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and he had two lost fumbles, one of those on Sunday. And it was at that point, I think I texted my buddies, why can't anything be easy? When they had that fumble, when it looked like he had the first down and had the ball knocked out of his hand by a helmet, I'm not going to go crazy and blame Jordan Love for that. That was basically his one mistake on the day. That was a moment, though, where it felt like the Packers had been dominating and they should have been up by multiple scores, and it looked like they were on their way to being up by multiple scores, and then you fumble it and you're still only up by eight, and it's just, why can't anything be easy? Why can't we just have something be easy in these moments? 4,159 yards, 32 passing touchdowns, 36 total touchdowns, and 13 total turnovers. He ends his year top 10 or top 7, I think, or number 7 in passing yards. Second in the league in passing touchdowns. Only Dak Prescott threw for more touchdowns this year than Jordan Love. Think about saying that sentence. Think all the way back to the Week 1 podcast or the training camp podcast in July and August. Think about saying those words at the end of week 18. The only person that threw more touchdown passes this year than Jordan Love was Dak Prescott. There's a whole lot of that sentence that I would think would have my brain rattled. Just the thought that he would have the second most passing touchdowns in the league in his first year as a starter blows you away. He is, so he's number two there. He's top 10 in quarterback rating number eight. He's top 10, number seven in QBR. He is top 10 basically in every single stack. Completion percentage, he just was never going to get there because he had those really bad games. He ends up, though, at 64%, which is not horrible. He had an 85% completion rate on Sunday in the victory. What more can you say about this guy? I know we floated the idea of him being in the MVP conversation last week. He certainly should be in the MVP conversation at this point. He is not the MVP. He is not going to win. He's not going to finish top five. But I think he's top 10. I think he's top 12 minimum with the numbers they put up, with the injuries on this team, with how young the roster is, the constant turnover, first-year starter, for him to put those numbers up and guide this team to the playoffs when they couldn't make it with a Hall of Fame quarterback last year. And I know the two teams are different, but when you add all of that up, like we talked about on last Monday's Victory Podcast, if they do have to vote 10 deep, and I think they do if you're an MVP voter, if you are voting 10 guys deep and doling out points 1 through 10, there isn't a reason, a fathomable reason in the world why Jordan Love should not get at least a handful of ninth or 10th place, place votes, easy for me to say, for the MVP conversation with the numbers he put up given the circumstances this team had this year. I also want to play you this because Jordan Love now is 2-0 and and against the Bears, and you think about this Bears franchise. There are moments where I have empathy for Bears fans. Not often, but there are moments. They had to sit through getting beat down by Brett Favre for however many years, 14 years. Then he hands the baton off to Aaron Rodgers, and they're thinking, okay, there's no way they have back-to-back Hall of Fame quarterbacks. There's no way this is going to be a Joe Montana, Steve Young situation. And lo and behold, it is. And Aaron Rodgers, arguably even better than Brett Favre in many regards, he dominates the Bears for however many years, 14 or 15 years, culminating in the I still own you game at Soldier Field, just rubbing their faces in it. Then Aaron Rodgers is traded away, and Bears fans spend the entire offseason talking about how there's literally no chance they have three in a row. There was no chance they had two in a row. They got that. There's no way they have three in a row that are going to dominate us like Favre and Rodgers did. 
And then Jordan Love steps up to the plate. He is 2-0 in his career now against the Bears with a quarterback rating of 132.2 against them. And this is the sound of a broken man. I don't know who this is. This is on the TV post game for the Bears on NBC Sports Chicago. I did listen to a little 670 The Score this morning, and it was just a delight. It's the, where's my Cartman? It's the tears of unfathomable sadness. Oh, the tears of unfathomable sadness. Yummy, yummy, you guys. Yummy, yummy, you guys. This is 45 seconds of a Bears fan or a Bears analyst who is realizing that Jordan Love is the real deal and is young and is about to go on another 10 to 15 year run of beating the Bears routinely. This is the sound of a broken man. I I don't care if y'all mad at me or not. I want a quarterback like that. That's what I want. We don't have that. I want a quarterback like Green Bay has. I want a quarterback that can make these throws, pinpoint the damn football. That's what I want. I don't why, – why do we always have to not have that? And if we don't get it, let's keep looking for it. But when we get that, then I think we'll be at a point where we can compete year in and year out on a playoff team. It's, it's been said oh, a number of years, Green Bay's down years is 500. Our down years, we got the first pick. You know what I mean? Like, this is crazy. Let's go get a damn quarterback. Let's go get one that can help us win like they have. The desperation in the I want that. This reminds me of the Napoleon Dynamite scene. If you've seen that movie where the, I think Uncle Rico is selling Tupperware and the wife and they're all at the kitchen table. The wife says, I want that. I want that. I I don't care if y'all mad at me or not. I want a quarterback like that. I want that. I want to have that. Can I have that, please? Can I have one of those? Can we just get one of those? Love finishes his day on Sunday, 27 of 32. And two of his incompletions should have been touchdowns. He had five incompletions on the day. Two of them should have been touchdowns. The first to Romeo Dobbs, where if you see the south end zone shot, the camera shot of that play where Dobbs went down and didn't come back. Remember, he was coughing up blood, I guess, after he fell on his back trying to make this catch. The behind the end zone screenshot of this is insane. Jordan Love is moving to his right and then throws a bullet across his body at least five yards horizontally, you know, across the end zone and puts it right on his hands. And Dobbs should have been able to catch that for a touchdown. And then the other one was the Bo Melton incompletion, which should have been a catch. Maybe it was a catch. I don't know how we do this every year. How is the NFL? It blows my mind sometimes that the NFL is the most popular sport in the league or in the world by or in America, I guess, by a wide margin. I know I was going to get I was going to get kicked back there from the soccer fans out there. There's got to be at least one Paul soccer fan that was going to kick back on that. The most popular sport in America, one of the most popular sports in the world. It's been around for a century and we still have these debates on things like that where we're not quite sure what a catch is. That should have been a clean catch though too and it might have been a catch anyway. That Those were two of his five incompletions. He should have had a four-touchdown, no-pick day. Again, the only mistake he made was the fumble. And in that moment where it was 17-9 to and you were still very much worried about the outcome of the game, it looked like the Packers were on their way down to get at least a two-score lead, which would have made you feel a lot more comfortable. Not great in that moment, but it's hard to poke holes at the game Jordan Love had. In the biggest game of his career, with the biggest stakes in a single game, playoffs or bust, 
He gives you a QB rating of 128.6, 27 of 32, 316 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks. Just an exclamation point on what has been an unreal regular season from Jordan Love. I did have somebody, I took a screenshot of, I think it's his last eight or nine games, going back to the Charger game. These were his quarterback ratings all the way through the remainder of the year. Against the Chargers, he was 108.5. 125.5 against Detroit. 118.6 against Kansas City. He had the bad game against the Giants. Everybody did 76 there. 111.5 in the loss to Tampa. 109.1 in the win against Carolina. 125.3 at Minnesota. 128.6 against Chicago. Is that good? Are those good numbers? He is the guy. I don't know what the contract is going to look like at this point. It's looking like it's going to be in the $50 million range, four to five years and 50 mil, and he has earned every penny of it. I know sports contracts are insane. He has earned every penny of that sports money with what he has done this year with the injuries, with the young roster, with the transitional year. He has more than answered the am I the guy going forward And that was our first goal of the year. That was our first, really only goal this season was to have a definitive yes or no on Jordan Love. And the answer is a resounding, all caps, italicized, bold, 72 font, yes, that he is the guy. And he proved it again on Sunday. A few other things I wanted to go over offensively. Aaron Jones, third straight 100-yard game. Having a healthy Aaron Jones. This is not a groundbreaking hot take. This is a cold take. This is a take that's been in the freezer. This is the vodka that's been in your freezer for five years just waiting for a Bloody Mary bar. He changes everything. Just the whole complexion of this offense, when he gets consistent carries and consistent touches, they just ground that Bears defense down. Aaron Jones basically was five yards. Well, he averaged five yards a carry. It felt like he was five to six or seven yards minimum every time he touched the ball. They're able to salt that game away at the end by running the ball seven times on that 10-play drive. Third straight 100-yard game, 22 carries, 111 yards, five yards a carry. He does end up leading the team in rushing. He ends his season in a shortened year with all the injuries with 656 yards, 4.6 yards a carry, pretty much near his career average of around five. Only a couple of touchdowns. He just gives you such a different look, and it's something that the defense has to worry about, and they missed it desperately when he was not out there. He is back in full tilt, and they have felt the effects of that. It's no secret this offense, they score 33 against Carolina. They score 33 against the Vikings. They only score 17, but you watch that game. That's a game in almost any other situation where the Packers are going to score 25-plus or around 30. They left points on the field with the Anders Carlson missed 40-yard field goal at the beginning of the game. They left points on the board with the disastrous time management at the end of the first half. What was going on there? I know we're not going to be angry about too much today, but if you'll allow me 30 seconds to be angry about something, that was inexcusable at the end of the first half. First of all, With a minute and 40 seconds left, and the Packer defense got the sack of Justin Fields, which forced the field goal attempt that was good and made it 7-6, why didn't they – they had two timeouts. You could have used a timeout there, stopped the clock at a minute 40, Bears kick the field goal, then you get the ball back with about a minute and 30 seconds and one timeout. I know he wanted to save his two timeouts, obviously, but I think saving 35 seconds there probably makes a big difference, and it definitely did when you see how that last drive played out. There were a lot of mistakes on that last drive. Again, Tucker Craft cutting back inside instead of going out of bounds. We've had numerous Packers do that in time-sensitive situations where they're right against the sideline, and you're screaming, get out of bounds, get out of bounds, get out of bounds, and they cut back to the middle of the field. That cost them 20 seconds. 
And then to run a play with 11 seconds left where you stood to gain nothing. That was what? That was going to be a 33-yard field goal. I realize with Anders Carlson right now, nothing is a gimme. That would have been a 33-yard field goal with 11 seconds left. And you lost the opportunity for that field goal by trying to pick up, what, three more yards to make it a 29-yard field goal? I could see risking it if you were going from a 55-yarder to a 48-yarder and you had 11 seconds left, but you had no timeouts, maybe you take a chance there to pick up five or six extra yards. But to make it a 33 to a 29-yard field goal, that made no sense. And then obviously they lose all that time at the end of the half and don't even get a field goal attempt off. That was maddening. Overall, though, Jones and the offense just cooking. Jaden Reed, again, another great game. He has now the Packer franchise record as a rookie for catches in a year, for yards in a year, four catches, 112 yards, he ends up just short of 800 yards receiving. He also had 120 yards rushing during the course of the year, so around 900 total yards and 10 total touchdowns for Jaden Reed. Bo Melton. Bo Melton looks like a real guy. Three weeks in a row getting playing time, five catches, 60 yards, 16 catches, 218 yards, and a touchdown as he saw elevated status those final three weeks because of injuries. Dontavian Wicks was back, and he continued to look like Devontae Adams, both in his footwork pre-snap and in his running after the catch. Devontavian Wicks, I think, is going to be the nickname for him. Devontavian Wicks. Six catches, 61 yards, and two touchdowns for Wicks. Tucker Kraft, solid three for 31. Jones added five catches for 30 yards, so 140 total yards on the day for Aaron Jones. I think Aaron Jones' contract has him technically staying next year, but there are weird different barriers in that contract where the Packers could get out or he could get out. I don't know what it's going to cost. It's clear at this point, you run with the risk of injury with Aaron Jones always. There's always the situation where he could not be on the field for a four to five, or in this case, what was it this year, six weeks. He just makes this team so much better. You've got to find a way to restructure him and bring him back on at least a two-year deal. How old is he now? He's pushing that 30-year-old. You're basically dead if you're 30 and running back. That is based in real, in human terms, that's like being 75 years old. 29 years old, so he'll be 30 in December of next year. Still feels like he's got a lot of juice left in the tank. I don't know that his burst looks any different to me now than it did when he was young in 2016 or 2017 or 2018. When he's healthy, that burst still looks like it looked back five or six years ago. Got to find a way to bring him back. Luke Musgrave did come back from the kidney injury. He had one catch, but it was big on that final drive. One catch, 11 yards, got a first down. Malik Heath had three catches and nine yards on the day. As the offense, like we talked about, they score 17, but the way this game played out where you missed the field goal, then you missed the field goal opportunity late, that puts you at at least 23 points. And it just felt like with the way they were moving the ball at will, did they even punt? They did not punt. That's got to be, I don't know if that's a record, to score 17 points in a game and to not punt. That's got to be some kind of. I don't I have to go down and track down fan graphs or something. Should we just make up a stat? We could just make it up. That's the third least points scored without punting. That's the fourth. We'll make it fourth. Fourth sounds more like we put some research into it. That is the fourth least amount of points scored in a game where a team did not punt, according to fan graphs. Source, trust me. That has to be on the short list, though, of the lowest point total in a game where you didn't punt a single time. I'm sure there's some weird when it was back and everything was just running left and right and no one no one was punting and there was no kicking game to be spoken of back in the 20s and 30s. There's probably something from that era. Still, though, pretty amazing. This is a game that felt like just the way it played out, they should have scored 30-plus points in this game. All right, what else do we want to hit on before we talk about the defense? Jordan Love. Oh, Matt LaFleur. 
10 and 0 now against the Bears, still undefeated. I'm undefeated, never lost. Undefeated, never lost against the Bears. That's incredible. What's really mind-blowing is that the Bears had they won this game. Imagine being 1 and 9 against your hated rivals head coach and then throwing a banner up basically for that one because that's what Bears fans were prepared to do. If they would have stonewalled the Packers from making the playoffs in this game, they would have then been 1 and 9 against Matt LaFleur in his time as the head coach in Green Bay. And you better believe they were going to hang a banner for that. For we kept hang a banner for 2023. We kept the the Packers out of the playoffs. Hang the banner. Parade down Michigan Avenue. One and nine, but they're 0 and 10. 10 and he's never lost, never lost to the Bears. All right, let's talk about the defense. Do we think Joe Barry is saving his job because he might be everybody? How do we feel about that? I still don't think he's completely saved his job. Like we talked about on Monday, or did it have been Monday this week? Must have been, or Monday last week. I still think we are one win away. From a serious, is Joe Barry saving his job conversation? But like we said last Monday, you may not want to, but you must tip your cap. Tip it. You have to. You must tip your cap the last two weeks. Say what you want about the middle of the year and how bad they looked against Carolina. They gave up 30 points to Carolina two weeks ago. And Carolina has scored a grand total of zero points in two full games since then. (laughs) Scored 30 against Joe Barry's defense and then zero points the next two weeks combined. Even with that as the backdrop, though, you don't really give up a touchdown against Minnesota. I'm not counting that touchdown against the defense, the one touchdown Minnesota scored after the muffed punt by Samari Toure. They don't give up a touchdown against Minnesota, and then you don't give up a touchdown against the Bears, a Bear team that had been playing better, especially offensively, heading into that game. They sacked the quarterback again. They kind of kept Justin Fields contained in the pocket. Five sacks. Quay Walker had another sack. Carl Brooks, another of the 2023 draft picks who is starting to break out. Not only did he have the sack, another tackle for loss as well. Great in the run game. Lucas Van Ness, the first-round pick. He had his fourth sack of the year. Kenny Clark, career year in terms of sacking the quarterback. Seven and a half sacks. He had another one. Who else had one? Devontae Wyatt's coming on. Only had a sack and a half his rookie year in limited playing time. He has six sacks now in his sophomore campaign. He appears to be taking a step forward, and if he could just finish some of those. He's had so many. He has six sacks this year. He has so many near sacks. I know that's not a stat, but if it was, I think Devontae White has at least eight to nine, maybe ten near sacks where he's gotten a hand on somebody but just couldn't finish the deal. If he takes that next step forward, then he is going to be a guy who's going to threaten for nine to ten sacks a year with the way that he is able to get into the backfield. He had another sack, and didn't somebody else, or that was five. I think that's five. They had five sacks. They don't allow a touchdown. Did not get a turnover. Didn't need it, though. And after the game, this is what really has given me a moment of pause when it comes to whether or not Joe Barry could be coming back. Because, again, I still feel like we are a win away. If they go into Dallas and they win this in a 2-7 matchup and they make the divisional round and the defense looks good, and then we're talking about not allowing a touchdown wink against the Vikings, not allowing a touchdown in a playoff-clinching game against the Bears, and then getting a win or being a part, a big part of a win on the road in the playoffs against a two-seed, if he does that, I don't know, man. It's going to be tough, I think, to to sound the horns where he is still going to be looked at as a guy on the way out by Matt LaFleur. This is what gave me a moment of pause, though, just perusing Twitter after the Packer win. Preston Smith said, quote, and I quote, Joe B's been dialing it up. 
he gets a lot of hell in the media, but we've come together. We play for Joe B. Hmm. <laughs> you know, if players start to say things like that and the defense performs and we know Matt Floor likes him, you know, I, I still think we're a week away. I don't want to entertain too many discussions about Joe Barry coming back. I All I want to say is good job, Joe Barry, for a second week in a row and good job, defense, for a second week in a row. If we're on a Victory Monday podcast seven days from right now and this team is in the divisional round against the Niners on the road and the defense look good against Dallas, and that Dallas offense absolutely hums at home. That is not the greatest show on turf, but close, maybe a little bit behind that, a step behind that, with the type of weapons they have on the fast track and the way they perform at home. If this Joe Barry defense goes out there and only gives up 17 points on Sunday and they get a win on the road, then I think there are some tangible conversations that are going to happen about perhaps Joe Barry coming back for another year. And then I can't wait if that happens for the defense to look abysmal in the first eight weeks and we're going down the same road again. All I will say right now is thank you and congrats for a second straight great performance when they needed it from the defense, from Joe Barry's defense on Sunday. I still don't think as of right now he is coming back, though. All right, Packers get the win there. Oh, Anders Carlson missed a field goal. Yeah, I don't know. Mason Crosby's out there. Mason Crosby, practice squad for the Rams, they cut him. Then practice squad for the Giants, they promoted him. He kicked for a couple of weeks there. I don't know that he has the leg for 50-plus anymore. He would return to the scene of one of his greatest individual performances, that divisional round game in Dallas in 2016, where he hit the field goal to tie it late, and then he hit that field goal that looked like it was going to miss outside but somehow bent back inside in a dome. And they win that game after the Jared Cook catch down the sideline on the bullet from Aaron Rodgers. If you signed Crosby and just put him on the practice squad, can we just do that just in case? Just to have him stashed away? But he would be able to return to the scene of one of his greatest triumphs in Dallas in the playoffs. Not in the divisional round, but in the wild card round this weekend. He is out there. Just food for thought. Carlson is 27 of 33. That's not bad as a rookie kicker, 82%. It is frustrating, though, when you're missing 40-yarders and you're missing extra points and you miss a 40-yarder in a must-win game early after the Bears had gotten that 3-0 lead. Packers go right down the field and then can't get to field goal from, what, the 22-yard line? A 40-ish yard field goal. It's maddening, but the raw numbers are not awful. 27 of 33, 82% on field goals. Not going to get you a Pro Bowl nod. Not going to get you an All-Pro nod. And it's certainly not on the level of that soccer kicker turned field goal kicker the Cowboys have, who we will see coming up this Sunday. But it's not bad. 82% is not bad. A long of 53. The only game-winning field goal that he had to hit, the one against Carolina he hit, it's just, it is maddening to miss extra points, and it's maddening to miss field goals in circumstances like we saw on Sunday when he missed that 40-yarder against Chicago. We get set now for Packers and Cowboys in Dallas on Sunday. They get the 3.30 time slot, and the NFL gets all of its drama. The NFL gets everything it wanted out of Sunday. They get the Packer-Mike McCarthy subplot, and you get Matt Stafford heading to Detroit where he was for however many years, him and Calvin Johnson were the lone bright spots for that team. He actually got them to the playoffs a couple of times in his run in Detroit, a couple of wild card losses where they were on the road both times. Now you get Stafford and the Rams in Detroit. Detroit finally has this year where they win a division title. They win 12 games. They're 12-5. and five. Maybe they have a chance to make a run. And then Matthew Stafford, old friend Matthew Stafford's marching in there. In terms of subplots and soap opera drama, I think the NFL got pretty much what they wanted out of Sunday. Some would say it's scripted. 
throw that out there. Wasn't that a rumor a while ago that there was a script and everybody was following the script all year and the officials were following a script? The officials, by the way, on Sunday, Bears fans cannot piss and moan about how the officiating went. Most Bears fans will always tell you, oh, the Packers get all the calls. The Packers get all the calls. They get the Hall, they get all the Hall of Fame quarterbacks and they get all the calls. That was not the case on Sunday either. That fourth down measurement, what happened there? That looked at minimum like they needed to move the thing a little bit closer. That's a technical term. A little bit closer to the football. Every angle we saw on TV looked like it was an inch short, and the lead official very confidently signaled first down there. I saw some Packer fans wanting the Packers to review that. You're never going to get a different spot on something like that. They they showed a million replays of the actual Justin Field sneak. I don't think there was any scenario where they were going to move that ball forward or backward an inch. I don't know that a review made sense in that instance. I just couldn't believe with the angle that we saw on TV that they just confidently a second into placing that marker down said, oh, yeah, first down. They got that call. Then they get the DJ Moore call where it looked like that ball definitely bobbled and hit the ground. They come back from commercial break, and they don't even show us another replay of it, which makes me believe that it was probably not a catch. Don't show it to them. The Packer fans will be upset. Do not show it to them. They never showed that replay again. All we did was get a comeback from commercial where, oh, yeah, that was a catch. It was a call confirmed. It was a catch. They got that. And then the Bo Melton one's probably a bit of a toss-up. If the Packers would have lost that game, I would be irate about it. Since the Packers ended up winning, I can say, yeah, they maybe got the right call there. You could argue perhaps he had control with the ball resting against his thigh right before he went out of bounds. But those three calls, massive calls, a fourth down in inches, a pass catch that kept the drive going and ultimately ended in a field goal to DJ Moore, and a pass catch that would have been a touchdown that ends up in a Packer field goal, so a four-point swing there. All the calls went the Bears' way on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know if it's scripted, but if the if Bears fans wanted to catch a beef about that at the end of the game, they got most of the key calls that went their way. I know Bears fans were upset about the Justin Fields, the hit that Jonathan Owens levied on Justin Fields late where Fields had to leave the game for a play. That had to be the fastest concussion test in the world. That was the Billy Bob Varsity Blues concussion test. How many fingers? Three. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, hold on. It's, it's got to be true or false. Billy Bob, the man's holding up some fingers. True or false? True. He's, okay. <laughs> He's all right, coach. They had Justin Fields leave, and he came back in 10 seconds. Oh, he's good. He looks good. Nathan Peterman had to come in for a play. I saw Bears fans bitching about that on Twitter. Oh, my God. No, Justin Fields never gets this call. You've gotten every big call in this game. You got a call that led to a field goal, a call that took a touchdown off the board that led to a Packer field goal, and a key fourth down call. Yeah, they maybe missed. I don't know. I, I think Jonathan Owens was in his tackling motion when, when Justin Fields started to slide there. I don't know that that was illegal anyway. I saw Bears fans being upset about that. Really? Really? Anyway, you get all the drama that the NFL could have possibly wanted in terms of narratives going into the game. Can the Packers win this game? Absolutely they can. The way they're playing right now with the confidence offensively, Matt LaFleur is so in sync with Jordan Love and the young wide receivers and Aaron Jones. They're just humming offensively. They have not looked better on offense. And again, Granted, they only scored 17 points on Sunday. That game script and the way the flow went, they should have had 30-plus for a third straight week. And that Dallas defense is not as good as it was at the beginning of the year. They have had a lot of injuries. Their secondary is a bit banged up. Of course, you're going to have to account for Micah Parsons, one of the best defensive linemen or linebackers in the league, and an absolute menace who can get after the quarterback basically on any given down. 
But with the way this Packer offense is playing, I think they can put up 20-plus or 25-ish points against this Cowboy defense on the road. The young wide receivers and the speed game from the Packers is going to benefit from being on a fast track as well, just as it will the Cowboys. Can Joe Barry's defense look anything like it's looked in the last two weeks in a playoff setting against a very good offense with a quarterback who leads the league in touchdown passes and a receiver in CeeDee Lamb who's probably the second or third best receiver in the league and a lot of good complimentary parts there? Can that Joe Barry defense resemble what we saw in Week 17 or Week 18? Packers open as 7.5-point underdogs heading into this game, which feels about right. I really do want to see this game come down to Joe Barry's defense versus Mike McCarthy clock management, a battle of who wants it less. Which of these two men want this game less? That is going to be a true test of wits between Joe Barry's zone defense, his soft zone defense late in the game, and Mike McCarthy's inability to understand how clocks work. Should be good. Should be a good one on Sunday. I would put the chances the Packers win this game at 30-35%. They're underdogs for a reason. They're the seven seed for a reason. The Cowboys are the two seed for a reason. But remember back to 2010, and I drew this parallel on the morning show this morning. They had a win and get in against the Bears at home, final week of the year in 2010, to become the sixth seed at the time when that was the last team in. And then they made their run all the way to a Super Bowl 45 championship. And as much as that makes you maybe want to laugh hearing me compare this year's team to that year's team, I can guarantee you when they won that game the final week in 2017, a 10-3 win against the Bears, and they were headed to Philadelphia, and they had the one-seed Atlanta who rolled through the regular season that year. If we beat Philly, then you got to go to Atlanta, and they had lost in Atlanta earlier that year. In that moment, as excited I was as I was that the Packers made the playoffs that year in 2010 and they skated as the sixth seed, I don't think I thought in that moment they were going to win a Super Bowl. I was just happy to be there. That's kind of how we feel right now. So as crazy as it may sound to compare those two teams and how different not only the NFL is, but how different the teams are, just remember when they won that game in 2010 to get into the playoffs by the skin of their teeth, I don't know that anybody expected them to do anything in the playoffs, and then they won three road games in a row and took it all the way to a title beating the Steelers in Super Bowl 45. Could that happen this year? Is there a percentage chance? Well, they're in the dance. So you've got a 1% chance just by getting in the dance. I think they can beat this Dallas team. I don't know that they can beat a fully healthy San Francisco team if they were to get there in the second round, in the divisional round. But this is a game where if they play offense the way they have been and the Joe Barry defense plays defense the way they have in the final two weeks, this should be a tight game. And as the seven seed on the road – if you can just keep this a one-score game heading into the fourth quarter and put that pressure on Mike McCarthy where we know he folds and put that pressure on Dak Prescott and make those Dallas fans nervous where, oh, my God, it's only a 21-17 game and the Packers have the ball late fourth quarter, put that pressure on them and see how they respond. Certainly we're going to see some growing pains from a young Packer team. Youngest roster in the league, many of them in their first playoff game. The lights are brighter. The game is faster. There's going to be a learning curve early. How quickly they adapt to that and how quickly they maybe take to heart, we have nothing to lose here and everything to gain, I think that will determine the game. I do love them to cover. Seven and a half. This feels to me like it is going to be a one-score game. Packers, seven and a half point underdogs, a 3.30 kickoff coming up on Sunday. Quick run through the NFL. We did cash our Steelers bet. They beat Baltimore on the road 17-10. to 10. How about C.J. Stroud and the Texans? What a turnaround from them this year. They had the number one overall pick last year. They end up trading back. They take Stroud, and he turns out to be the better of the two, at least right now. Quarterbacks taking one-two between him and Bryce Young. 
They go on the road and get a win. Indy had a brutal drop late in that game. They were driving deep in Houston territory, fourth and one, wide open. I forget who the running back was. Pass from Gardner Minshew was a little behind him, but it was it's a catch that has to be made, and it's an easy five-yard gain on fourth and one. Just dropped it, and that was the game. But the Texans and D'Amico Ryans in his first year as a head coach, they go 10-7. and seven. They've got the rookie of the year, the offensive rookie of the year, and they're on their way to the playoffs as the AFC South champions. Who would have seen that coming? Bengals got a meaningless win against the Browns, 31-14. Lions did play to win and did win against Minnesota, 30-20. They maybe lost Sam Laporta, though. He left with a knee injury. I'm not sure how serious that ended up being. Jaguars fell apart. They were 8-3 and three and looked like a lock to win the division. And they end up losing, what, five of their last six. They lose in Tennessee 28-20, to and they are out. They finish 9-8. and Titans finish 6-11. and Derrick Henry might be done in Tennessee. The bet we lost on Sunday was the Jets-Patriots bet. They got a 3-0 lead. They were up 3-0. Or it was a 3-3 game, maybe. I didn't realize it was a blizzard. There was a nor'easter going through New England. So you have two horrible offenses playing in terrible conditions. I didn't know that element of it. Remember I just said I thought they would play in what could have been Bill Belichick's final game in New England, and it may be. I thought they would play their tails off for him and win that game against a Jets team that was also kind of checked out. Jets won that game, though, 17-3. What was the other gambling win we had? We had the Steelers, and we had all the Buccaneers. I lost my NFC South bet. Saints did win 48-17. Weird situation at the end of that game, too, where Falcons head coach Arthur Smith confronted Dennis Allen at the end of that game because the Saints scored a touchdown with a second left in victory formation. I guess Jamal Williams, former Packer, who had a record touchdown year for Detroit last year, then they, uh, they let him loose. He went to New Orleans. He had not scored a touchdown all year. And Jameis Winston, the backup quarterback, was in at that point for victory formation. And I guess the players on the field determined they wanted Jamal Williams to at least get one touchdown on the year, so they handed it off to him in victory formation to make it a 48-17 to game. And Arthur Smith came charging at Dennis Allen at the end of that game, upset about that, and then Arthur Smith was promptly fired this morning. Saints do get the win, but they needed the Buccaneer loss in Carolina to secure the NFC South Championship and cash my future bet there. They did not do that, but we did take the Buccaneers minus four as a hedge against that, which did pay. Nine to nothing win in Tampa. Raiders got a meaningless win against the Broncos, 27-14. The Eagles are imploding on themselves like a dying star. You hate to see it. You hate to see it happen to such a classy franchise. Giants steamroll them, 27-10. Eagles have lost five of their last six and literally look like their locker room is ripping apart at the seams. They are 11-6. and six. They're going to play in Tampa on the Monday night game in the wildcard weekend schedule. Giants win 27-10. Seahawks won. If the Packers would have lost, then Seattle would have gotten in, I think, 21-20 over Arizona. Chiefs, in a battle of backups, beat the Chargers on the road 13-12. This is what determined the Packers being in Dallas and not in Detroit. Niners had a lead against the Rams most of the day. And when it looked like the Packers had secured their win, Niners were up and it looked like, okay, Packers going to Detroit. A rivalry game against a division rival that you split the season series with? Okay. I would have felt better about that matchup maybe than I do against about this Dallas matchup. But then Carson Wentz, back from the dead. Rams score a touchdown. They go for two because they don't want to go to overtime and risk injury to players. They go for two. They get it, and they win in San Francisco 21-20. That's what sends the Packers to Dallas. Dallas steamrolled the Commanders. That got them the NFC East Championship 38-10. And then I did cash my Bills ticket on the AFC East Division title. Shout out Josh Allen. Despite the turnovers, they get the win. I got them three weeks ago at plus 280 to win the division. 
I was hoping they'd end up in the situation they ended up in where it was a win in Miami and you win the division, and they did that. They were down 14-7, looked dead to rights. They came back off the deck, and they win 21-14, got a big 96-yard punt return for a touchdown to tie that game, and they end up getting a win. That drops the Dolphins all the way down to the sixth seed. Bills are the AFC East champions, and they will play this coming Sunday. Wild card weekend slate, Browns and Texans, 330. That is the least sexy logo and jersey matchup you could possibly comprehend. 3.30 kickoff on NBC on Saturday. Browns are two-and-a-half-point favorites. We'll talk more about this on Friday. Dolphins end up going to Kansas City. That's the exclusive Peacock matchup where I can't tell you how many older NFL fans I think are going to be struggling. What what channel is this game on? Helen, what channel? What aren't they? Are they on Fox? Are they NBC? No, they're on the Peacock app. That game is exclusively on the Peacock app. Dolphins at Chiefs. I think the Dolphins are going to win that outright, honestly. I, just the Chiefs have had bad, bad vibes about them this year. They can't score consistently. I don't know. It's hard to bet against the Chiefs at home in a playoff game. Dolphins, though, they can get some guys healthy this week. They are three-and-a-half-point underdogs. Then on Sunday, we get the Steelers at the Bills. Bills are 10-point favorites. Packers at Cowboys. Cowboys, seven-and-a-half-point favorites. And the nightcap is Matthew Stafford returning to Detroit. Detroit right now, three-point favorites. And the Monday night game is just gross. You get the falling-apart Eagles in Tampa taking on Baker Mayfield and the nine-and-eight Buccaneers. The Eagles are two-and-a-half-point favorites there. That's There's got to be a tease there. There's an angle on a tease I think I'm going to take with that one. That'll be wild card weekend this coming weekend, though. Other little tidbits from the week that was... We have the Bucks losing in Houston. I was out of town all weekend. My wife and I were doing a curling tournament in Madison. So I didn't watch the Houston game. They barely got by the Spurs last Thursday night in primetime. Giannis almost had a 50-point game. Giannis again almost had a 50-point game on Saturday in Houston. They lose 112 to 108. Defense looked a little better. I know it's hard to say when you give up 112 points, but in the modern NBA, 112 points is kind of like giving up 95 points back in the 90s or giving up 90 points back in the 90s. It's a different world we live in now. Giving up 112 is not a terrible defensive effort. If the Bucs averaged giving up 112 points per game, they'd probably win 70 games. Defense looked a lot better in the second half. They just couldn't get anything going offensively. Dame has been in a horrible shooting slump just absolutely lost out there in the last five games I think shooting sub 30 percent and 17 percent from beyond the arc just crazy low numbers now he is not going to play tonight the Bucks are home against Utah and Dame is going to get the night off for personal reasons as we discussed about a week ago Dame is going through what we now know is a fairly public divorce from his longtime wife, and custody is up for grabs. There's a lot of stuff going on there. You can't help but think at this point that that has a lot to do. That going on, starting with a new team after being with a team for and being the cornerstone of that team for 10, 11, 12 years in Portland, having to uproot, go to a new team, dealing with the divorce, dealing with custody – you just feel like that has to be impacting his body language and the way he is playing at times this year. He is off tonight because of personal reasons. We just hope that things get resolved there and he can get back to where he, I'm sure, wants to be, which is worrying about what's going on on the floor and playing basketball at the level that he has his entire career. He is off tonight, though. Giannis was pretty outspoken after the loss on Saturday about the defense having to get better, even though, again, the defense wasn't awful given – what they've given up to some teams this year. The defense wasn't terrible in that loss at Houston on Saturday. Giannis and Chris Middleton were both very vocal about that in the postgame. 
where Giannis essentially said, we don't even really know what our defensive strategy is. Not great for Adrian Griffin. It's a good thing for AG that he, I think, was the hand-picked coaching candidate of all the guys they interviewed. It sounds like he was the guy that Giannis wanted. If not for that, I don't know how much longer Adrian Griffin would be the head coach of this Bucks team. Giannis essentially said, we've got to figure it out. We have to get a strategy together defensively. We don't know whether we're protecting the rim and giving up threes or defending threes and giving up the rim. He said, right now we're giving up everything. He said at the end of his quote, we've got four months, meaning until the playoffs, we've got four months to figure this out. And if they don't, and they can't outscore people and score 130 or 140 points. At the end of this year, I would think Adrian Griffin will be under the microscope. There are plenty of fans out again like they were early in the year who want AG fired now. And you look at the roster and see championship contender and you don't want to waste any time. I get that. There's just no way they're going to fire him 30 games into his coaching tenure as a first-year head coach. He is going to get the year, and that means all the regular season, all the playoffs – If they underachieve the rest of the year defensively and they're out in the second round or whatever in the playoffs, then I think he could be a one-and-done guy. But they have time. Like Giannis said, we've got four months to figure this out and get better. Hopefully some of the comments by Giannis and the comments by Middleton after that loss on Saturday will spark this team. Malik Beasley did do an interesting interview. I forget what podcast he was on where he kind of said, look, I know everybody's picking us apart every game, but we have the third-best record in the league, which they do. They have the third-best record in the league. And this is how we're talking about them. He said, we've got the third best record in the league. AG, Adrian Griffin is still learning some things. We're still learning about each other. He said the locker room chemistry was great. Beasley said that. Some encouraging comments, I thought, from Malik Beasley on that podcast. He was on either last week, Thursday, or Friday. But Giannis and Chris definitely were outspoken, very direct about their comments about how the bad the Bucks defense has been and how they need to tighten that up. They are at home against Utah tonight. Even without Dame, hopefully a winnable game, 7 o'clock tip time. And then you've got a big old showdown, second matchup of the year with the Boston Celtics. This one is at serve. Celtics now, with the way the Bucs have been playing, they have a three-and-a-half game lead as the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. It's another one of those that you highlight and you star and you say, let's see where we're at. This is a measuring stick kind of game against a team you expect you will be seeing, hopefully, in the playoffs Boston will be in Milwaukee Thursday night. That's on TNT, nationally televised game, a 6.30 tip time at Pfizer Forum. Then you got Golden State there right away on Saturday. That's also on national TV. Real quick college hoops notes. Marquette dropped another one. They're not a top 10 team. They may get there again by the end of the year. They were, what, number three in the country. They beat number one and then narrowly lost to number two. That feels like a long time ago. Just don't play well on the road. Can't seem to score on the road. Don't have the same defensive identity on the road. You get that with college teams from time to time. They dropped one to Seton Hall, 78-75 to on Saturday. They are now 11-4, and 2-2 in the Big East. They are at home against Butler on Wednesday. I would expect a blowout win there. How about the Badgers, though? They are 3-0 and now in Big Ten play. They get a win against a 12-2 and Nebraska team, and they pretty much handled that game on Saturday, an 88-72 to win. A.J. Storr was good again. Tyler Wall had 17 points. They are 11-3-3 on the Big Ten. There's a good chance when the new rankings come out today that they will get past Marquette or they'll be maybe close to each other in the top 25s. It wouldn't shock me if the Badgers were ranked higher than Marquette by the end of today. They will be at Ohio State, a 7.30 tip time on Big Ten Network on Wednesday as they try to run it to 4-0 in the Big Ten. And then the National Football College Championship is tonight. You got a good one. I mean, you couldn't have asked for anything better. You've got the number one team in the country taking on the number two team in the country. Both are 14-0. Michigan is a right now five-point favorite, and that's gone up.
It was a three and a half point opening spread. It is up to five. I've bet against Washington in the past and been burned. Michael Penix Jr. is so locked in with his offense in Washington. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's deadly accurate. He was a Heisman candidate for a reason. I just think that's too many points. I think Michigan's going to win, but I'm, I feel like I'm going to take Washington plus five. This feels like it's going to be a field goal game. That feels like a ton of points. Now, with national titles in college football, who knows? You end up with these four, five, six-point spreads, and then a lot of the time it ends up being 45 to 10. I'm just happy we don't have an 8 o'clock kickoff tonight. 6.30 kickoff on ESPN. I don't know. I'm just going to take – I'll take Washington to cover. I guess I'm not really sure who's going to win this game. I am going to take Washington at plus five to cover, though. 6.30 kickoff on ESPN tonight for the college national championship on the football side of things. That'll do it for us here this morning. We'll be back after on Friday getting set for wild card weekend. You'll love it. We'll set up the matchup with Dallas on Sunday. We'll talk about the Bucks coming off of that big matchup against Boston on Thursday. We'll be discussing that on Friday. We'll recap the college football national championship And we'll be coming out of, I think, a winter storm here. It's going to be hitting tomorrow in southeastern and central Wisconsin. And then another one could be on the way on Friday as we're recording that podcast. Winter is here. Winter is coming. We'll chat with you then. Have a good work week.